Hey there. Uh, this week, I'm doing a special thing for Nancy Bowers' episode because she's all about radiating real and being authentic. So I've decided this is the first one that I'm going to not edit at all. There's no cuts. There's no edits. I did remaster the audio so that we're the same levels, but other than that, it's exactly like it happened. So enjoy. Hey there. This is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Nancy Barrows. Nancy, how's it going? It's great. Thanks. So happy to be here. Yeah. Welcome to the show. So uh, what I typically like to do is to let the guests uh, do them do a little pumping up of themselves, a little inflating of of their persona before we do a little bit of the deflation with the failures. So, is there any things that you're proud of, or that you want like some uh, humble brags or shameless plugs <laughs> of the things you've done over time that uh, people should know so that they get a little bit of context uh, around your story? Yeah, thank you. This is actually one of those hard things for me. So this is a good good exercise in in talking myself up. Uh, my name is Nancy Deborah Barrows. I am known on LinkedIn as the queen of engagement, and I am named one of the top 50 most impactful people there. And I, the title is fantastic. Great. I love it. Um, what I love most is it was it was a title that was given to me by peers. It was all peer voted and it happened less than two years than I had been on the platform. So I love it because it's inspiring. And for anyone who's starting and, and new, know that you can have a huge impact even when you are first beginning and growing. I am the chief engagement officer at Voice Your Vibe. I'm also the chief, oh gosh, what am I? I'm the chief excitement officer, I think is the title I gave myself, chief excitement officer uh, and founder of the Chick with the Tool Belt, which is a coaching, really more of a Sherpa kind of because uh, mm-hmm. I feel like it's really your journey and I'm just taking you along and with you for the experience and to sort of discover with you and have a different perspective. I haven't, I haven't journeyed your journey. So maybe my bringing a different perspective can help you see things differently and get unstuck. Um, I am about to be a published author coming out in the book of influence. It's a collaborative four book series, which I'm really excited about. I co-host two global award-winning live shows. I am a dramatic cat mama. I am a Cali girl who hides from the sun, originally from New York. I am human, completely flawed. I believe in radiating real and that taboo won't do. And I started that radiating real movement so we could all take off the mask that we've worn for so long and allow ourselves to experience unconditional love and acceptance. And if I really had to sum me up, I'd say I just, strive to make people feel seen, heard, loved, and valued. Well, that's an impressive little list, and you did a great job of uh, pumping yourself up, I think, so good good job there. Um, I want to, I could d- dive into any of these things, but I really want to figure out what is it about you that you think made it so that you would be comfortable trying to shine a light on others. It also seemed like basically in the um, in that tool belt um, training thing, you're more of like the Doc Brown, the Yoda, character that trying to show the hero the way is that is that the idea yeah sort of it's it's using my experience to help others along the way and 
we all need our own tool belt, right? What works for me may not work for you, but if we have enough things in there to draw on and we can think ourselves through and really get to the root of like, who handed us this idea and why did we let it take hold? And what is that idea attached to both emotionally and behaviorally, right? That's all within us. And if we can discover that, then we give ourselves the ability to really find our true voice and use it. And that's hugely powerful. Our voices are powerful. Our stories are powerful. Our journeys are powerful and impactful. And so for me, what made me comfortable doing that was that I grew up hiding from the world. Probably most of my life, I won't even say grown up, I put on a certain mask of what I wanted people to see. And I was a really great chameleon. And so it started from, and I'm going to tell your audience, they receive this however they would like. There's no judgment on my part. I've probably felt everything that they will feel, but that I had been sexually abused by my grandfather until I was 16 years old. And it came out because of a legal issue, some mandated reporter. And my whole life, well, not my whole life, definitely up until 16 years old, it felt like my life depended on keeping that secret and hiding it and making sure that the world saw, you know, someone who was totally together. You don't need to look at me twice. I'm not struggling. I'm not suffering. I was present in my class, captain of the volleyball team. You know, I was socially popular where I could fit in any group. There was really no reason to look at me twice because I had perfected this mask and persona and I was good at it. So I could, I could, like I said, chameleon. So when I went off to college, it was one thing. If I was with a different group of people, it was another thing. I actually didn't realize until about 16 years into my marriage that I had put on an old mask and that I had sort of recreated some old patterns um, emotionally. And, and so I, I like to say that because I, I'm 50 years old now, I've been divorced seven years. And I think a lot of people feel like the journey to like this place, there's a place we're getting to and often feel dissatisfied or like, you know, they're not achieving or they're doing something wrong if they don't get there. And that's absolutely not true because we don't get there, get a plaque on the wall. Same with our mental wellness. You don't just like, oh, good, I'm mentally well and I'm, I'm done. You, it's something we do every day. And we're going to have moments where we go back to old patterns and we try on old masks. And the way I like to look at it is it's an opportunity to use your new tools. And it's sort of like akin to, I don't know, for me, uh, I like shoes. But that beautiful pair of shoes that I keep in the back of my closet that I know are going to kill my feet and I can't really wear them. But every so often I insist on taking them out and trying. Yes. <laughs> and you can wear them for a little bit, but they hurt and they, they end up being too painful to even wear. And that's what those old masks are, right? With the, those opportunities come up to say, oh, I recognize this. I have something I can do about it. It's okay if I spend a day or two in it or whatever happens, because I know eventually it's going to be too uncomfortable and I have the skills to bring myself out of that. So um, if I can help someone else do that, and again, being seen, heard, loved, and valued, especially for who you truly are, the Radiating Real movement, the hashtag Radiating Real movement, when I started, really started with me during the pandemic. And I got to spend a lot of time with my story in ways I hadn't before and discovered different things about myself. And what I realized was for the first time I had met the real Nancy Deborah Barrows, um, and I liked her. I really liked her. And so everything that made me me seemed to have such meaning. And I was able to have such gratitude for it all, right? And in a way I hadn't before mm -hmm. because it all made me me. And if you remove any of it, I don't know exactly who I would be. People ask me all the time, like, would you change it? And it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but I wouldn't. Now, if you asked me when I was 20 years old and I thought I was broken beyond repair, I would have 
absolutely said, you know, what do you want? I'll give you anything and just undo it. Let's mm -hmm. go back in time. But as I've gone through and I've healed and I've been able to help other people, not just in the area of sexual abuse. I mean, I was anorexic. I still experience depression. Any place where you have had struggle, even if you haven't had the exact same struggle, it gives us that ability to be with someone. Um, and that's the first most important part is not try and fix it. Just be with someone in the yak. I call it the ugly, unsexy, snotty parts of the journey. And I am committed to sharing them. If you go back through my social media, you'll see pictures of me crying with makeup from the day before, you know, in my bathrobe, my hair a mess, you know, admitting that like this is day three um, and I'm really struggling with my, my mood right now. And so everything is challenging. So for me, I feel comfortable helping people feel seen, heard, loved, and valued because I've already, I'm doing the same. We're getting into brave space. You know, people talk about um, safe space. Safe space typically is like, okay, we're going to hold space for you to get vulnerable. Whereas I like brave space where, hey, we're going to get into this together and we're both going to be vulnerable. We're going to do it together because being vulnerable by yourself is really scary. And not that being vulnerable isn't scary. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things I've learned and I, I continue to tell clients is even frightened, even afraid, even terrified, we are powerful. Absolutely. I totally agree. Because also, I think there's a push for authenticity, and a lot of that comes with fake authenticity, which we see a lot in all sorts of varieties. But when you can tell somebody's like, let's say on stage or whatever, and they're nervous, you're rooting for them. You know, you don't want them to to mess up. You're because you know that you can see the true side of them. The people who like. Uh, do the whole fake it till you make a thing, which I'm not a fan of and all that other stuff, uh, which sometimes is is required. Like the masks that you mentioned, I, I had similar masks at all my jobs that have like a different person at work that I was than I was at home. And once I got to the point where I was the same person all the time, it just felt a lot better. But how would you, I guess, first of all, obviously, oh, Jesus, hold on. <laughs> I will mute that. So wow, you just had a very authentic human moment. <laughs> yeah, of course. And what I was going to say before the call was, um, um, it must be terrible to go what you went, went through. I'm sure you've gone through hearing that from all sorts of people, but I just want to make sure I address the fact that that sounds absolutely awful. And I'm sorry that your grandfather did that to you because that's not, it sucks when you have no agency over something being taken away from you, whether or not. Uh, it's something that you knew or didn't know, but it it is interesting to hear that you wouldn't change things, but I understand it because the evil that you know, or the thing that you like the life that, you know, eventually resulted in you figuring it out. It's probably better than maybe a different one where you didn't find that thing out. So my thing about getting fired from every job, I'd still probably be working in the, whatever job kept me if I didn't get fired from all those jobs. And I probably would have hated it. I never would have been a colorful weirdo uh, at some point. So um, so I get what you're saying uh, in some of that stuff. I do like the brave space idea. Um, I'm wondering, do you have a similar opinion about social media highlight reels kind of ruining the way we think about ourselves and other people and even maybe even crafting our own highlight reel that's fake for ourselves to believe? Do you have any thoughts on that kind of stuff? Oh, I have lots of thoughts and opinions on that um, for sure. And I, I say all the time what we're doing on social media is quite literally killing each other. 
the bottom line, people are looking at other people's quote unquote perfect lives and wondering why they can't, you know, make it work. Why are they having such a hard time? And so if we look at it that way, welcome to real. This is cat number one. Um, and I have the same. This is, I, I, well, I've stopped trying to lock them out because then they destroy the rest of the house. So we just sort of go along with it. Um, mm -hmm. And here, real, like you said, that authentic moment of this is, this is who I am. What you see is what you get. Um, but in terms of media, yeah, we're quite literally killing one another. And, and why, why, why do we feel the need to put perfect out there instead of real? We're all out here living life and we know how crappy it can be. Mm -hmm. So why aren't we talking about that in addition to celebrating? I would say find people who celebrate your failures as much as your successes, because the reality is we're not defined by either, neither define us. And if they're celebrating both, then what they're really celebrating is you. They're celebrating you as a human, you as a person who's trying and out there living life, right? That's what matters. That's what matters most. And in terms of my social media, I'm very careful to, if I'm going to talk about curated content, then I'm making sure it's curated to be real, to mm -hmm. show you all pieces and parts of it. I think we are doing one another a huge disservice for these highlight reels. And I think what ends up happening, another real big danger about this, and you talked about control earlier, is when we start to try and emulate or use the formula someone else used and be them, right? Mm -hmm. Make it be them work for us. Uh, a couple of important things happen that are dangerous. One, you put the the center of control, the locus of control is outside of you, right? And now it's, it's not me. It's about what this person does. And can I create that? Can I create that version of me that's really them? The other thing happens is you lose thought. And you lose your voice because you're using their thoughts and their voice. And that's it. Like you've given up control and you've given up your voice. That's a slippery slope. It's a scary slope. And it that's, puts a lot of people in this really dark hole wondering how they got there because they've been doing everything right. Wondering, yeah. you know, how do I get out? Because I've tried everything. And that's sort of where like I like to come in and what you're doing, where it comes mm -hmm. in to say, hey, listen, you know, you are, you're doing great, but let's find you. Let's do yeah. you for real. Well, following someone else's blueprint is basically like a imposter syndrome baked into the plan of what you're doing. Cause you're not going to ever feel like yourself if you're just following whatever someone else's template was. And also the more people who follow whoever it is template is, the more you sound like everybody else and you lose, you carve out whatever rounded all the edges and you make everything more average, which is, super sad because mostly everybody has all these weird cool things that they could be talking about but instead they gotta feel like they're promoting you know how good they are at xyz or whatever and so in my world it was like i'm teaching excel so i gotta always seem like i'm a business guy who knows what he's talking about or whatever and so i'd lie to myself i'd lie to myself and i'd lie to jobs about whether or not i was fired so because i didn't have to face it myself so i'd be like I could go, it took me five jobs getting fired to realize I got fired from all my jobs because I was like lying to myself and everyone else about it. And so until you can really face it yourself, it's hard to know what is even going on. But how do you have like a way of figuring out when is it too vulnerable to share versus not? Because I've struggled. I've got some stuff that I have never released because I feel like it's just too much of me in too short of a time period that it's not like uh well fleshed out or whatever it is but i don't know how do you balance the being open and honest and vulnerable with the oversharing piece 
Well, I think there's a lot of things there. One, um, this narrative that it's too much, right? That that's you being too much is is really someone else's idea that got planted in your head because none of us is too much. None of us, none of our stories is too much. It's just who we are. And it might be raw and it might be uncomfortable, which we need to do a better job with getting okay with being uncomfortable, but it's not too much. And radiating real is not about cracking open your chest and telling the world every secret you've ever held, because that's not real. That's not authentic. That's not how we do it. And so I usually tell clients, you know, figure out what you are truly comfortable talking about. Not that there won't be any fear or anxiety, but you're, you're comfortable in having a conversation with someone about it. Right. And even if it was awkward and uncomfortable, you, you, you'd be able to live with it. And everybody's is different. Everybody's level is different. Um, but every time you do it just a little bit, which is why I advocate for personal content and how powerful it is, because you saw, first of all, professional, um, having a cat climb on you while you are doing an interview would typically not be considered professional. And yet I've managed to be very successful in my life, even though, you know, there was a time when I would have thought that was, I mean, the biggest, horrific, most terrible thing that could possibly happen. And I blew everything, right? No, yeah. this is just me. And it does take away imposter syndrome, right? Radiating real takes away imposter syndrome. And to say like, when do you feel, when do you get vulnerable? You get vulnerable when you find people it's safe to get, who are brave spacing, who it's safe to get vulnerable with. And one of the things I have all my clients do when we start is write a list of everyone in your life that you are 100% honest with. And I give them time to write that list. And then ultimately my question to them back is, were you on the list? Uh, I was hoping that was where you're going. Yeah. Were you on the list? Like you were saying, you weren't able to be honest with yourself until mm -hmm. you're able to be honest with yourself. Um, it's very hard to be honest and vulnerable with other people. And I think that's a hard part. I think people tend to start sharing before they're truly comfortable and honest with themselves. And so that is really destabilizing, right? All of a sudden your truth is out there, but you yourself are not ready for it. And that's okay. I want to say like, that is totally okay. You may not be ready. You may be telling yourself stories right now, like Ben had done for years. We do those things to get to the point where we are ready. Um, and so I don't want anyone beating themselves up for that, but recognizing the pattern and that's what you're doing and that you're not being honest with yourself is a huge game changer. So be vulnerable. And if for you sharing any little bit about your life is vulnerable, um, it can be like, here's my closet organizing strategy or, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it can yeah. really be anything that shares something about you that people are not going to know on paper. You're not going to read it in my bio. You're not going to, you know, resume, whichever you're using. Mm -hmm. And so you just slowly start to do that. And that allows you to really experience that authentic peace going out and that unconditional love and acceptance coming in. And that is, that's something we don't get very often. And I think the more people do it and the more they experience it, the more they crave it. Because once you mm -hmm. start getting real, it's very hard to go back. Um, I say all the time, like, I used to be great at small talk. And not that I can't do it and I have to do it in certain situations. I understand that. Um, but it's very hard for me to have, you know, an, a conversation with someone that I don't feel like is real, is, is really mm -hmm. willing to have, not in this moment, I just met you, but at some point, are we going to have a real conversation or not, you know, kind of thing. Um, so once you start doing it, you you feel it. Mm -hmm. You like being in it, you get more comfortable being in it, and you start to attract people. You find those people who are, are living the same way, and that makes it even easier to get vulnerable. I totally agree. And also, I think it's um, 
it's important to know, like, for example, the two of us speaking here. I remember a time when I saw someone doing a podcast and I was like, I could never do that. That's insane. I was even just thinking about listening, or like or like trying to sneak a listen to what they were doing. And I'm like, holy hell, I could never do that in a million years. And I'm now on the other side of it. But a lot of times when you see people on the other side of it, you don't realize that they also struggled with a lot of those same things. And almost everybody in any kind of creative field probably is still thinking that they're not totally understanding what they're doing or, or have it all figured out. So if anybody out there is like just wondering if they can get to any point, even close to where we're able to share, like, so open, honestly, it takes a long time and on, and I'm not even there yet. And I'm sure you think you're not there yet, or at least we're all on the path towards the hopeful end goal of being in my eyes, honest and open all the time with the people who we should share with, you know, you don't, right. Like you're saying, you don't have to let all your secrets out of the world, but to let your true self show through and, and for you to be a unique individual, because that's like the, the cool thing to see online, not just one other clone of another type of person, especially to your point about um, when you start putting your real self out there and then you get positive feedback, it's like much more meaningful because it's about your actual self rather than something you were doing because someone else told you to do it. So I love that just the message that you're doing and all that stuff like that. Do you think, um, do you think it's so like with small talk and all that other stuff, when do you think masking is useful? Is it ever useful? Uh, and to what extent, I guess, because I also similarly I can't do corporate politics. I can't do all sorts of weird stuff related to like bureaucracy and stuff, uh, or hierarchy. I just, it's just a, I get physically repelled from it basically. And so, but I do in certain scenarios have to like act a specific way because of the baseline expectations of whatever it is, whatever that thing is. So I guess, how would you define navigating so that you're not masking in a negative way, but putting on a persona that is more authentically you for that situation? It's a, a great question because here I am about take off your mask, be who you are. And the reality is it may not always be feasible or, you know, reasonable. And so I can't say you need to be honest everywhere or there's going to be times that you need to do this. It's a choice, right? It's a choice of how am I going to enter this situation? I have spent 20 plus years as a speech language pathologist specializing in social cognition, social thinking. And so this also is what I bring to the table is that I know from working with clients over the years and from what I know, you know, area of study and expertise is we all have thoughts about each other, plain and simple. And if I asked you right now at work, you know, who's the person to go for to for the best gossip? Who's the one you want to work with if you have to do a team project? We all know who those people are, right? Who's going to, who's going to, who's going to throw the best party? We all know who those people are because we have thoughts about each other. It, mm -hmm. It's inevitable. The question is, how do you want people to see you? And while we can't make people think anything, we can influence how they think about us. And so you may choose in certain situations to show up still authentically me. Like I have makeup on today. I don't wear makeup every day. Does that mean I'm not authentically being me? No, it's just today's a makeup day. You know, it's a Monday. I'm tired. I need to make these eyes look like they're open kind of day for my own sake. Right. Mm -hmm. But how do I want to be seen when I walk into a certain situation and I get to decide for myself, am I comfortable, you know, 
quote unquote, conforming to the expectations of the situation? Or am I okay with not doing that? And, you know, people having different thoughts about me. So usually if we conform to the situation, you can still be you within a situation. Mm -hmm. um, but people usually feel comfortable with you. And again, that's that authenticity in addition to, you know, okay, I understand the rules, social rules of this interaction. I don't want to make anyone too uncomfortable. That's also thinking about other people. It's not just a selfish, you know, piece. Or you walk and you go, I know exactly what's expected of me here. And you know what? I just can't do it. And that may make people have a lot of weird ideas about me, might make a lot of people uncomfortable. And if there's one person in the room who gets it, if there's one person that I allow to exhale, right? Because I'm saying, you don't have to do it this way. Like you can mm -hmm. do it a different way. Then I'm a pretty lucky person to give someone that gift. So yes, there are times we are going to wear quote unquote masks. They're not so much masks as do we want to, how, how aligned do we want to be with the expected social norms of a situation? And in order to make that decision, just know that people have thoughts about us and how we want to be seen, we can influence. Now, again, people used to say all the time, like, okay, LinkedIn, button up, it's business, you know, you got to come on business, you got to speak business, you don't have your cat cross in front of you, you don't, mm -hmm. you know, you don't talk about your personal stuff. Well, business professional has been evolving too. And it's because more of us are showing up authentic, more of us are showing up as we are, and we're allowing us to see the human in one another. And honestly, that, that is going to be allow people to fall in love with you, which makes them want to do business with you because they trust you. They know you, they feel it. I always say like, I want to do business with someone that I can say, listen, I'm going to be five minutes late to that call because the cat just puked on the rug and I can't leave it there, you know, mm -hmm. and they go totally get it. No problem. I don't want to be doing business with the people who are like, I'm sorry, you're going to be five minutes late to a call. We'll have to reschedule. Yeah. You know, like I want human, I want to be able to be human. And I want to give that back to other people. I don't let people apologize to me for being human or living life because we do it too often. We mm -hmm. do it way too often. There's no reason for that. Yeah. I mean, I try to, as much as possible, tell people don't apologize unless I ask you to, because I promise you, if I need an apology, I'll tell you, otherwise just assume it's all good because people yeah, tend to over apologize. Things. It's like the boy who cried apology. Right. But Wolf, you know, it's like, how do I know it, it means anything if I hear well, it all the time? And we apologize for our own behavior so often. Mm -hmm. And if you if you bring your awareness to it in the next 20 minutes after you're done listening, you'll realize like you're running late and like, oh, I'm so sorry I'm running late. Why isn't it? It is, I should say, it is equally true to say thank you so much for you know, being flexible. Thank you so much for waiting. Thank you so much for having patience. You know, that is equally true. It's actually probably more true than I'm sorry for being like, what am I apologizing for? Because I was human. No, I yeah. appreciate you allowing for my human. I appreciate you having grace for the fact that life happens. Um, and it's a pretty powerful shift in just our words. Again, as a speech language pathologist, I believe in the power of words. And so mm -hmm. I, I tend to pay a lot of attention to that and help clients start to pay attention to what are we, what are we saying? Cause our words tell us things. Yeah. I don't think we hear sorry so much that in that situation, uh, the thank you, the other version might be more likely to be remembered and not necessarily brushed over like a, like a, like a regular apology would. So I, I like that. And the thing is, people feel seen, heard, loved, and valued. Yeah. And they did do something worth thanking, meaning they're flexible or whatever the thing is. You know, they they went out of their way to wait extra time or whatever the thing is. And uh, and yeah, we default to, to sorry way too much. Yeah. I myself know. included, I'm sure. I'm um, too. <laughs> uh, 
Is there anything, so throughout this journey of sharing your true self, are there any moments where you've felt like on the subject of failure that you either were failing to show your real self or you were doing it incorrectly? And is there any memorable experience that you learned from where you had done something that you not necessarily regretted, but more like you're like, okay, well, I realize that's probably not the best way to do that. I should change it in the future. Is there any notable like vulnerability failures where you learned how to then correct that moving forward? I think anyone who says they haven't had those moments needs to see if they're on their own list because the reality Mm -hmm. is they happen and they happen frequently because we're human and we are going to do our best to know who we can be vulnerable with without it being a problem. And, you know, other times we learn because we go, okay, that didn't work. And what do I notice about this? What's, you know, what do I want to put into my tool belt for next time to be like, okay, whether it's something I can use or something I can use to discern, who am I talking to? Are they really a person I can trust with this? And there's been so many that I'm, as you're talking, I'm like, can I think of one that stands out? And I, you know, one that stands out for a different reason um, that came to mind when you talked about it is when I started the Radiating Real movement, I it started with like, take a selfie of yourself when you woke up in your most vulnerable moment, right? And just put it up there and talk about how hard it was to do that. Like what came, went through your mind, like just share it. And I did it. And for a lot of my life, I was told, um, you know, that I was lucky because I was pretty. And I was lucky because I was thin and I was lucky because, you know, of my hair, my, something about my physical traits were were my value. Um, And so when I put it out there, it was just as vulnerable for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe people didn't realize that um, because they look at me and they think certain things. Now, listen, I don't think of myself every day as having an eating disorder, but there are days that I say awful things to myself and I have to let the right board members step up and be like, I'm sorry, you were retired in 1927. Um, your opinions are dated and they're actually not helpful here, but thank you so much. Right. And who wants to, who wants to be running the ship here? Mm-hmm. But when I did my first radiating real post, somebody posted on it and said, okay, tell the truth. That picture is filtered. And it was it it was my biggest fear realized, mm-hmm. right? That I would put something out there and people would think that I was not being true and authentic because it looked too good. Um, Which sucks because you, when you're, especially when you're not doing that. Right. You and know? I'm not. And, and, and again, especially when you've heard all these messages your whole life, like, mm-hmm. no, I'm, I don't want to be punished. Like I get their advantages to being pretty and smart and, you know, all of these things that I have the privilege of having, Um, but they're also disadvantages. I've had women hate me without ever meeting me, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'm pretty and smart or they've heard my reputation and they're threatened or uncomfortable with their own story. It's typically nothing about me. It's they're uncomfortable with their own stories and they're not yet hundred percent true with themselves, but that hit me. That was my biggest fear happening right there on social media, on LinkedIn. And I cried, of course, like I, I was so overwhelmed with so many feelings. And, um, then I created a post. And I created a post with me crying and said, listen, this was my biggest fear. This is what I was worried about. This is, you know, my whole, and I just laid out all of the things that were my fears prior to posting this and that they had happened Mm -hmm. and that I was still standing, that it was okay. Like 
but I'm still here. The worst thing I thought could happen happened, but I'm still here. And if I look at all the other comments on the post of people who really appreciated the radiating real movement and that we could show up the way we were, right? One person who was that voice from the back of my head showed up and I had the choice. I had the choice of how to deal with it. I, I was originally going to take down the post and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to do that because it's helping too many people. It's helping mm -hmm. too many people for me to think I'm more important than all of that. I think ego is a big thing for me. And, um, yeah. oh, you know, when my ego gets involved, hopefully I catch it and I go, you know what, is this really like, is this really about you? When I was 16 years old, my family went on vacation and our luggage was lost and we were in Puerto Rico. And so, you know, first thing you need is a swimsuit. Um, and so I went to buy a swimsuit and all they had were bikinis. And at the time I was, you know, beginning to have my anorexic behaviors and my body image stuff. And mine was really more about control and hating the body that had betrayed me, but I still had the image things going mm -hmm. on. And I was like, I can't ever wear, I'm never going to wear a bikini. I can't wear a bikini. And I remember my dad saying this to me and it sounds harsh. Probably at the time I was really pissed, but he was absolutely 1000% right. And the thought has planted itself in my head. And it's one of the ones I nurture is he said to me, Nancy, if everyone you think is looking at you is actually looking at you, you're a very lucky woman. Right? You're, you're walking down the beach thinking that everybody is noticing mm -hmm. you in your bikini and, and thinking all the things you're thinking. That's not what's happening. Most people are not noticing you or they're too busy in their own insecurities to really even notice you. And so, you know, this piece of my ego going, okay, this is helping other people. But the other way I can help someone is hey, let me tell you what my raw and real reaction was to this. Let me tell you what, what happened in my head when I got vulnerable and my biggest fear was realized. And so I think for me, that was defining in the sense of, okay, things are going to happen like my biggest fear coming true. Mm -hmm. But what I can do with that is, again, if I'm on social media with that, be on social media with the real raw reaction of this is what happened for me when I, listen, now I can say to someone else when their biggest fear happens, I've been there. I've been there too. I really do get it. And so for me, that was a, a big aha moment. Yeah, I think um, similarly, like whenever any kind of embarrassing thing happens, you always remember it infinitely longer than anyone else will. And it almost certainly overestimate the amount of people who cared and saw it. And we'll even ever remember that you did it ever again. But sometimes we relive it so many times ourselves. We just end up punishing ourselves more than the reality even relates to. It's more like the worry is worse than the thing itself um, that we could experience. So, And that's a lot of times. For those of us who do that, just sorry to interrupt you again. No, go ahead. For those of us who do that, know that your brain is hardwired to do that. It, it's it's meant to encode negative more po more strongly than positive because survival survival is like i need to know not to eat that berry mm -hmm. like, i need to know that this is the worst experience of my life right it, even though i survived but don't eat that one as opposed to oh this makes me happy so we really as humans we're, we're so fortunate because of the neuroplasticity of our brain and our ability to relearn and rewire that we can find those places and step in and help ourselves take advantage of the beautiful thing our brain is capable of, which is flipping that switch yeah. and saying like, okay, for every one negative thing I have to experience for positive. Well, how about I just stay in the positive longer? Cause what ends up happening is we stay in the negative, like you said, for so long, right. Mm -hmm. That it's more deeply encoded and we keep going over it and over it. What if I kept doing that with the positive things that happened in my life? What if I kept going over every detail of all the positive things that happened in my life? And I spent that same concentrated time with emotion thinking about those things. Well, guess what? Life becomes more positive, I'm, I'm imagining. 
Yeah, yeah, life is more positive and it's the same way. And my brain's going to encode it more deeply. And that's what I'm going to remember more strongly. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're just saying is like, we're all, regardless of how small or how big your comfort zone is, we can always start stretching it out in ways that make us a better person in terms of like what we want to truly be or the things that we want to do. Um, and uh, before I get to the last couple questions, I just didn't want, I didn't know if there's anything historically on the subject of failure that you want to talk about before we get into the last two questions, which are going to be either present or forward looking um, questions. Hmm. Or anything on the topic of failure that you want to get out before I mean, we... just again, my big failure thing is get people who celebrate your failures as big as your successes because neither defines us. Yeah. Right. And as long as you're failing forward, you're doing a great job. Yeah. And I, and one of my things is that it's not even a failure. People are like, why are you so negative with the whole failure thing or whatever? There's all sorts of reactions to the, to this whole stupid thing or like in terms of like, it's not very well thought out in terms of getting to people immediately. It's, it's something that people tend to want to avoid, but I really think the only true definition of failure would be uh, having a big mistake and not learning from it, actively men and blacking yourself and forgetting about it. Um, or, not doing something because of the fear of failure. And those are the really two true definitions of failure. I think anything else is more just a learning experience. So, and again, uh, being someone with words, <clears throat> excuse me, being someone with words, it's like, well, if we just called them learning moments mm -hmm. or, you know, those kinds of changed it, it's not failure. It's like, oh, I'm experiencing this great learning moment. Yeah. Some people say fail is first attempt in learning, right. which I've heard many times. I've never said it because I don't want to be grabbing <laughs> someone else's things. But, being a guest on the show, you get a get out of fail free card. Oh, yay. So I'm going to hand this to the interwebs to you. you got to grab it. Bloop, bloop. Okay. So get out of fail free card. Starting now, not historically, you as today, you. Is there a career, a hobby, a passion that you would pursue or, or that you haven't been pursuing or that you think you'd be good at? Let's say Broadway singer. It doesn't matter what the thing is that you haven't been pursuing but if you had to get out of fail free card you might use it to pursue it knowing that you wouldn't fail my typical example is stand-up comedy but i did my first open mic stand-up last week i saw you posting some stuff about that and yeah go ahead sorry. but i can't believe Bravo. i actually did it meaning it's been years and i've always said that that would be my thing and now i broke the seal and i'm going to start doing it even more but it was not easy so what would it, if you could use a get out of fail free card? Is there something you'd want to use that towards? What's funny, if you would have talked to me a year or two, three ago, I would have said public speaking, writing a book, you know, doing what I'm doing now um, would have been it. But actually, the first thing that came to mind is I've always wanted to be a doula, a birth coach. Oh, nice. And, um, you know, being an, a non grown up in a grown up world and having to pay bills and all of that to, to go back and do the training. So I guess it would be the, if I could remove the fear of the financial piece of just mm -hmm. dropping everything to go train and, and, you know, take years to get really good at my craft at um, helping bring babies into this world, then that would be what I would do. Do you know what the, where the name comes from? Is it shortened for something? Is it an acronym? I don't know it's anything. Not a, it's not a shortened name. It might be something from another language. And you would think something I've wanted to pursue my whole life was after I was in the delivery room with my youngest niece. My brother and my sister-in-law allowed me to be there um, because when they were pregnant with their first, my brother had to be out of town for work. And so 
I went to Lamaze with my sister-in-law. I went to the mm-hmm. hospital in the middle of the night with the false contractions and Braxton Hicks. And so they invited me. And after I did that, I was like, like this, this is incredible. Um, and I don't know where the name come from, but I knew like, I was like, can you like being part of bringing a life into this world? Like, yeah. And it's only the one, it can't be scaled. I mean, I don't know. It could be scaled, but the point is like, you have a very intimate relationship with that specific life coming into mm-hmm. the world, which would be a really cool thing to do probably over and over again. Yeah, if that was your that jam experience of entering the world, pleasant and beautiful for everyone involved. Yeah. And to be a positive experience for the, for the mother as well. And everybody, everybody who's involved because it's probably, I had to guess a very stressful situation and, uh, and the more people that can help de-stress it, uh, probably the better. Um, and then the last question before we uh, point to where you, people can find you and all that other stuff is, um, as I said earlier, I don't like fake it till you make it. I like fail it till you nail it is my version. So is there something now that you're pursuing or that you're starting out and that you're not sure of that you're going to just um, try at it and fail it until you can figure it out? And um, maybe some new venture that you're not totally sure if it's going to work that you want to talk about? Well, I'm kind of doing it right as I go with the with the live streaming and the podcast and the authoring and really even the coaching. You know, one of the things I find is that people tend to define themselves, right? This is what I do. And we don't allow ourselves to evolve. We, we the reality is as humans, we're constantly changing. And so when I first came on the platform, I came on, I was going to be the woman who was changing the narrative on sexual abuse. And then I realized it was bigger than any one group. So I could evolve into that. So I am constantly sort of putting myself out there in different ways to see mm-hmm. what happens and allowing myself to grow into whatever it is, the next thing is supposed to be for me. And I, I full on admit that I don't know what that is. I could never have guessed I'm doing what I'm doing now five years ago. So for me, I mean, I'm, I'm continuing to speak and I just did a keynote for at this global, which was amazing. I have this oh, yeah. book coming out, the coaching business, the chick with the tool belt, uh, through voice revive, we do masterminds and workshops and we're helping people really get their voice out there and master LinkedIn and harness the power of LinkedIn because lots of people feel like you do. It's boring. It's stuffy. We did this keynote and that's what people were putting in there. It's fake. It's boring. It's stuffy. And I was like, excellent. I love that you feel that way. Yes. Let me change your mind. Um, you know, and, and just the live shows that we're doing all the time and constantly thinking up new things to do. My big thing is to just keep going and see where it goes mm-hmm. and allow myself to evolve. You guys, you can reinvent yourself over and over and over and over again. And there's no shame in it. There's no shame in discovering another part of yourself or something else you're passionate about. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's worth celebrating. So go ahead and keep reinventing yourself. I love that. And I also love, I love when people say it's boring on LinkedIn because I, I think of it like business meeting, stand-up comedy where the jokes don't even have to be good. People are just <laughs> begging to laugh because it's so boring that anything that resembles a joke will go over a lot better because sure, if you're on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, there's a lot more things that are funny. And if you're on LinkedIn, there just typically aren't as many. So it's just uh, more of people are kind of primed to more easily laugh because they're so likely not getting that and that's why i feel like if you're at a business meeting in a normal typical company and you crack any kind of joke it usually goes over way better than it would in most other settings because people are like begging to have some kind of a real moment so that's very true real where 
Oh, sorry, go ahead, please. No, I'm saying real is what people are craving. And certainly if you go into a platform that you think is all buttoned up and you show you have someone showing personality, that's a huge draw. Like, oh my gosh, I found a human. No matter yeah. how businessy you are, how how you're showing up, how business you are, like when we find another human, we root for one another. We want us one another to succeed. And we want to be around people who make us feel, of course, seen, heard, loved, and valued, but who they make us feel a certain way, then we want to spend more time with them. And whether it's spending more time with them in person, spending more time with them like this, or spending more time with their content, if you make people feel a certain way, like you said, if you can make them laugh, they're going to want to spend more time with you and your content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my feed is one of the weirdest feeds to look at, or, I mean, I never thought it could look like it does because I follow some of the weirdest people. And the more my brand of weird, whatever that is, uh, that I find people like, the more I'm like, Oh, it's awesome that there are more, people like me or whatever that have my sense of humor out there. And I just didn't expect to find a lot of it on, on there. So it's, um, I think if people are still hesitant about LinkedIn, I'd say it's a pretty good spot to try things out. That's it's really not that scary of a place to do it versus some of the other areas where, you know, you might be expected to do more of like an influencer content creation kind of a thing. It's, it's, uh, I'd say it's a lower bar, but a higher upside. On LinkedIn. So where would you tell people to go to see the things you're working on to connect with you, any kind of links or, uh, or places you want to point them to? Sure. I mean, I am a LinkedIn gal, so that's where you're going to find most of my content. I'm on other platforms and you'll see stuff, but not every really LinkedIn is my place. So you're going to want to find me. I'm under Nancy Deborah, D-E-B-R-A Barrows. Um, you can find me there. I am always happy. Please send a connect request. Let me know that you heard this conversation. If there was something about it specifically, or just like, Hey, I heard it. It was great. Thank you for sharing. Send me that personalized connect request because this is another tip for everyone out there. Those inboxes get full. And when you send something personal and you do human and you mm -hmm. do human, those go to the top of the list inherently. It's just all how we sort of prioritize like, oh, human contact. Let me do that first. Um, I love meeting people and having the opportunity to talk like this. So feel free to set up a 15 minute, you know, consultation or conversation through Calendly. It's, you know, calendly.com forward slash Nancy Barrows. Um, if not, you can try smoke signals. Um, you can get in touch with Ben. I'm pretty Yeah, findable. I'll connect you. <laughs> a great way to find me is I'm live on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm every Wednesday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time with my co-host, Brian Schulman. On Wednesdays, we do What's Good Wednesday. And for both shows, we don't book guests. All the guests come from the comments and from the community. If you want to be live with us, we want to shine the spotlight on you. We're about having fun and making people feel seen, heard, loved, and valued to creating this great family in this brave space. And so we do it every Wednesday on What's Good Wednesday, 6 p.m. on Brian Shulman's channel. And every Saturday is Shout Out Saturday. So come shout out someone who's made a positive impact in your life. That's 9 a.m. on Saturdays on LinkedIn, also on Brian Shulman's channel. And What's Good Wednesday, obviously. Let's talk about what's good in your life, in the world, what's going on. So just trying to bring a lot of light into the world through those shows. So even if you don't want to come on live, come join mm -hmm. In the comments, uh, mm -hmm. even if you don't say a word, there's a huge, wonderful, beautiful community there that is so welcoming. Um, I invite you to join us. Yeah, I've been on the Shout Out Saturday twice now, yeah. once in person, mm -hmm. once not. Also, I'm also a case study speaker. You're doing a bigger speech at PodFest Global. Unfortunately, this will air after that's all done, but we were also both at PodFest. So whatever the next PodFest is, we'll probably be at that thing doing some kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to thank you for all, just being obviously genuine and honest and vulnerable and all that stuff, but also for 
everything I've seen so far, like there's no scenario where you'll you will make someone feel bad in a situation when most people who are watching would be like, oh no, this person's messing up or whatever it is. There's never a feedback loop of negativity. It's always positive reinforcement type of stuff and uh, and making sure people feel like they're that it's okay to show up. So I just wanted to say great job with, with doing that kind of stuff. And thank you for being vulnerable and sharing on this podcast. My pleasure. Thank you to you and everyone listening for giving me the space and for um, making each other feel seen, heard, loved, and valued. And Go back and make that list, see who you're honest with. And if you need to uh, shake up the board, you know, the executive board in your brain that's telling you all that stuff and making the decisions, sit down and reelect some good people. Absolutely. I need to, I, it's a rotating door up there for me. So I'm constantly figuring out who's, who's in charge. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I can't wait to see you on those uh, LinkedIn streets. See you soon. Take it easy. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over 5 hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.